Welcome to the Carrots and Cake Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Hopper, an FDN practitioner, author, mom, and IBD advocate. Tune in each week for real-life advice and strategies for becoming your happiest and healthiest self, all while thriving in the gray area. Trust me when I say, you can have your carrots and cake too. Welcome to the next episode of the Carrots and Cake Podcast. This is a solo episode today. We haven't done one of these in a few weeks, and I'm excited to catch up, tell you about things, life, all of that good stuff. And we're going to talk about sugar cravings today because this seems to be a very common challenge for a number of our clients. I mean, even just chit-chatting with women in my DMs on Instagram, and I have 100% been there as far as sugar cravings go. If you've followed Carrots and Cake since the blog days, I have multiple posts on my blog about sugar, sugar cravings, literally being a sugar monster. I mean, I don't want to say I was addicted to sugar. I feel like that's a little bit dramatic, um, but I crave sugar all the time. And looking back on those years, I feel like it makes a lot of sense why I was craving sugars, sugars, <laughs> sugar and sugars. Yes. Um, but I'm going to talk about some of those reasons for sure. And then try to help you guys kind of get to the quote unquote root cause. If there is something going on as far as your health goes, and then also some diet and lifestyle things to consider when you're thinking about sugar cravings. So I know this is a struggle for many women. And if you're struggling to lose weight, um, this can really make it difficult. So before we dive in, I have a couple quick things. Um, number one is if you enjoy this podcast and you're a regular listener, I would love for you to take a second to leave a rating and review. I mean, it's a way that people can find this podcast. And really, I think all of the reviews and ratings are super duper old from when I first started this podcast. So I would love just some updated ones. And I have heard really great things from you guys about the podcast and that you appreciate it. So I would just love to see it in the reviews and ratings if you have a second, but just totally appreciate it. And the other thing I want to tell you about is I have a freebie for you. So I have this sugar-free meal plan. So it's basically a week-long sample meal plan that you could follow if you would like or just use it for ideas. But the reason I'm offering this be is because it's a good way to help you I don't want to say detox from sugar because that's not the right word either, but help get you on the right path to managing your sugar cravings better. And the recipes and the meal ideas really do take that into account. And there's no added sugars and it's pretty much all whole foods with an emphasis on good quality protein, good quality carbohydrates that have some fiber in them and plenty of fat to help keep you full. So I'll leave the link in the show notes and it's totally free. All you have to do is enter your name and email address and it'll be delivered right to your inbox. And the reason <laughs> that I've been kind of laughing as I was saying some of these things is that Murphy, if you don't know who Murphy is, he is our senior pug. He is 14 years old and he is barking at me right now because he wants to sit on my lap. So give me one second and I will put him on my lap. Oh, okay. Okay, best friend. We'll do this together. Okay. Okay. Solo episode with Murphy. So Murphy and I are together. <laughs> this is pug life, guys. They just always want to be with you and touching you at all times. If you do hear some heavy breathing and snoring, it's Murphy, but this is the only way this podcast episode is going to get done. Otherwise, you're going to hear barking for the whole episode. So 
Welcome, Murphy, to the Carrots and Cake podcast. All right. So let me take a quick sip of my water before we get going. Mm. Actually, let me comment on that real quick before we really get into the meat of this episode. I swear we're getting there. Um, But in my water today are the watermelon flavored electrolytes from Paleo Valley. And if you're somebody that has gotten on this electrolyte train as far as there's a million brands out there. I mean, there's LMNT, there's liquid IV. I mean, there's adrenal cocktails. There's a million ways that you can get these electrolytes in. And of course there's food. I mean, food has electrolytes in it, but if you're somebody that's looking for more of a powder beverage option, I really like the ones from Paleo Valley. I mean, the watermelon's delicious. I mean, we fight over it in this house because Mal likes it, Quinn likes it. And I think where Paleo Valley is a little bit different with their electrolytes is that the ingredients in their powder are all whole food sources. So it's not a bunch of synthetic vitamins. So it's like natural sea salt. It's um, seaweed as far as like getting um, the various minerals and whatnot in it. And it doesn't have a bunch of like fake synthetic vitamins and not just, there's nothing wrong with them, but do I do think, and I don't have like any real research to back this up, but I just think our bodies receive whole food sources differently than synthetic sources. So if you are looking for a whole food source of electrolytes, it's a really good option. Obviously, if you want, you can save 15% off your order. If you use my affiliate link, (laughs) not trying to sell you anything, just want to tell you about my favorite electrolyte powder, because I do get this question quite a bit. And this one's delicious. It also comes in lemon, lime, and orange. Those are good too, but the watermelon really is the best. So I'm going to take one more sip and then we're really going to get into this. Okay, so let's get into this. So sugar craving. So like I was mentioning, I dealt with sugar cravings for a really long time. And that was in, I guess, the early days of blogging where I don't think I really knew much about nutrition. I think I knew how to eat low calorie and how to diet. I was pretty good at that. Um, But I wasn't really nourishing my body and wasn't consuming balanced meals by any means. And I do think that's the reason why I had so many sugar cravings. I mean, I also did a lot of running back in the day. So it was cardio, cardio, cardio. And when you're exercising that way, your body is just automatically going to crave more carbohydrates and quick carbohydrates are sugar. So, I mean, it makes sense. Um, and I don't doubt that my body was really stressed out and depleted, probably had some blood sugar problems. I wasn't eating enough protein. There's so many things looking back that I was like, Oh, that makes sense. Why I have sugar cravings, but hindsight is 2020. And this is a struggle that I hear from a lot of our clients is that, you know, they're quote unquote good all week, you know, they're on track, they're tracking their macros, but the sugar cravings are really like tripping them up. So they're craving sugar, like right after a meal, they're craving sugar when they're stressed out, they're craving sugar at the end of the day. They kind of dive headfirst into like a plate of chocolate chip cookies or brownies or something like that. They just can't say no when they're around sugar. So I wanted to share some of the reasons why you might have cravings. Some of them might not be things that you've heard of, and some of them could be quote unquote root causes. (laughs) (laughs) which not a doctor can't diagnose you can't treat you for anything specifically, but just working with clients over the years, you know, looking at all these different functional tests and blood work and whatnot, um, just gives us a lot of clues as far as what could be going on in your body. And if these parts of your health and overall wellness 
are not where they need to be. It can just make those cravings worse and it can make losing weight harder. Um, so I do think once you get your health into a good place, it does become a lot easier to manage the sugar cravings and obviously get you to your weight loss and body composition goals. And I do have a couple of things to say about diet, lifestyle, and I'm going to offer some suggestions or recommendations as far as what to do if any of these things really resonate with you, because it's never one thing, different things work for different people. So I just wanted to throw some ideas your way. And of course, you know, grab onto the ones that make sense for you, try them out and, you know, see how they work. So this is not an exhaustive exhaustive list of all the things that might be causing your cravings and leaving you feeling kind of out of control around sugar. But these are kind of the big ones that we see again and again. So the first one is insulin resistance. And I'm sure you guys have heard this before, but really it just makes sense. I mean, you're, you're dealing with imbalanced blood sugar. And when you have these highs and lows of blood sugar, you're kind of on that roller coaster. You're just going to crave more sugar. And it's not always easy to get past that. Um, and I'm seeing this a lot more often with our clients and our group coaching clients and things like that, because I do think a lot of times doctors will look at blood work and they'll see some of these blood sugar markers a little bit out of whack and they don't do anything. They say it's normal, but a lot of times when I'm looking at blood work, a lot of these ranges that are quote unquote normal are out of the functional range. And sometimes these normal ranges are really, are even in the insulin resistance range and doctors just say it's normal. Don't worry about it. Um, so if you're somebody that might be dealing with something like this, I would definitely run the blood work. Um, I think some of the good ones to, or the good markers to look at, or at least ask your doctor for are fasting glucose, um, A1C and insulin. I think the three of those together can give you some good information. And yeah, if you're not feeling your best, um, I would really consider, um, some more functional ranges. Um, and, you know, working with a practitioner can help you. And if you're somebody that's out of those functional ranges and not feeling your best, it could be helpful to work on some of these things as far as getting your blood sugar into a good range and, you know, helping your body as far as that insulin resistance might go. Um, but yeah, basically when your blood sugar drops, um, after like the initial spike of consuming, that's something that's really sugary, you're going to have those cravings again and again. And it's really your body just trying to get your blood sugar back up to a normal level. But a lot of times it is high blood sugar, low blood sugar, high blood sugar, low blood sugar. And of course, you know, this goes hand in hand with what you're consuming, but it's not just your diet that impacts blood sugar. And I'm going to talk about some of the things that make a difference, but Insulin resistance can also alter, you know, what's going on with your gut and your gut bacteria and certain gut bacteria actually thrive on sugar and it can actually lead you and lead your brain to consuming more sugar. So if you have gut problems too, and you're craving sugar, these things go hand in hand. And this is where, you know, working with somebody who is in the functional space can really be helpful and focusing on some of these things I'm going to mention right now. So what to do if you think you're dealing with blood sugar issues or insulin issues or something like that? Um, number one would be consuming more protein. And I know you've heard this before, but it's so important. And I've told my story before where, yes, I knew I needed to eat more protein, but I didn't actually do it. And I didn't actually do it consistently. And I think with the protein thing, 
you need to do it consistently to really feel the effects of it in order to feel better. And making sure you get enough protein in your meals can help keep your blood blood sugar much more balanced. And it's not just eating a bunch of protein either. I would say your meals really need to be balanced in the sense that you have some protein in there. You have some good quality fats. You have some fiber. Um, Fiber can be really helpful as far as like slowing down that glucose response as far as like digestion goes. So making sure you have all of those elements in your meals and really prioritizing regular meals instead of, you know, just sugary snacks throughout the day, because that's when you get on that crazy blood sugar cycle. So back in the day when I was really dealing with this, I didn't really eat full on meals. I just felt like I was snacking throughout the day. And a lot of my snacks were like protein bars and weird, like protein cookies. And I'm just trying to think of the other like weird stuff I ate back then, like fiber one bars and light and fit yogurt. I mean, none of it was like real whole foods by any means. It was like a lot of diet food. And when you look at the ingredients in diet food, it's a lot of fake things, a lot of fake sugars, a lot of fillers, um, just stuff that's really not going to satisfy you and could likely cause those blood sugar spikes. The next thing to do is really focus on strength training. And I know you've heard this before. I mean, these are kind of (laughs) some of the foundational things that we talk about over here at Carrots and Cake. And strength training is really important, obviously, for building muscle. So you are a strong, capable human who ages and is functionally fit, you know, into your 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. But the great thing about muscle and muscle tissue, it's essentially a sinkhole for glucose. I mean, muscles need energy as far as glucose goes and muscle is going to require more energy than fat cells do. So having more muscle on your body in theory, you are going to be able to manage this blood sugar way better. And in theory, you are going to have a better response to that insulin. So um, putting on as much muscle as possible is really important when you hit perimetopause, because as I always say to our clients, you got to use it or you're going to lose it because we do start losing muscle every year of our lives as we move into menopause. And it just gets harder and harder to move to build muscle and maintain it. So if you are not currently strength training, I would hop on that boat right now. Uh, Make sure you're getting in some quality strength training workouts where there is some level of progressive overload, where you are trying to get stronger, you're trying to lift heavier and making sure you're eating enough protein and enough calories, because those two things are also important for building and maintaining muscle. The other thing that's really important for blood sugar balance is movement. So making sure you're getting some walks during your week or even during the day. I'm a big fan of just little short walks throughout the day. Either, you know, I work from home, but like throughout the day, going for like a 10 minute walk, even a five minute walk, you know, a little 15 minute walk with the dog, but just moving as much as possible and adding that movement into your day. Again, muscles need glucose and energy. So the more movement you can get in your day, the better your blood sugar control is going to be could also help with your sugar cravings. And then finally, I think the other foundation here is sleep. Um, And you guys know, if you have a crap night of sleep, you are gonna wake up, not feel your best, um, be dragging, you might have a little brain fog. And for me, I crave sugar and carbs all day long. I just feel like all day long, I just want chocolate and cookies and bread and things like that. So um, just doing your best to get good quality sleep. And if you're not sleeping well, um, I would really focus on 
troubleshooting what is going on with your sleep, whether it's a hormone thing, you have low progesterone, um, you have gut issues and have low melatonin, um, you're super duper stressed and your cortisol is all over the place. Um, you're drinking too much caffeine during the day, calling myself out on that one. <laughs> I have to stop drinking caffeine at like 10 in the morning. Otherwise I am up all night, but really prioritizing your sleep. And I'm a big fan of just going to bed. <laughs> Like you can stay up all night watching Netflix, scrolling your phone. There's like a million things that you can be doing. Um, but I just put it all aside and I force myself to go to bed. Oftentimes I'm in bed at like 8.30, maybe nine o'clock, lights out. I read and then go to bed, but really making sleep a priority. Because, you know, if you don't sleep, everything sticks. The next reason why you might be having major sugar cravings is low thyroid. And low thyroid is super common. And again, if you're running blood work, your doctor says everything is normal, I would probably push back a little bit, especially if you're having a lot of those low thyroid symptoms. Um, because again, there's normal ranges and there's functional ranges. And a lot of times low thyroid just, it's another one of those wait and sees. And I'm not a big fan of wait and see. If I have low thyroid going on and I'm dealing with the symptoms, I'm having crazy sugar cravings, I want to get going on improving my health ASAP. So Ask your, your doctor for a full thyroid panel if, you know, they just run TSH because TSH isn't really telling you all that much. And if your TSH is over 2 or 2.2, I would definitely push back for the full thyroid panel. So that's my spiel on that. But if you have low thyroid, it essentially slows down your metabolism. I mean, that's what the thyroid does. And if you're having like low energy, a lot of times your body is seeking out an energy source as quick as possible. And a lot of times that is sugar. And it might be why, you know, you're craving more sugary foods because you want that quick energy boost. And then also, you know, just the thyroid slowing down your metabolism, that's going to make losing weight way harder too. Um, and of course, you know, there's also, you know, the thyroid plays a role in regulating other hormones in our body. So insulin, cortisol, a lot of the things that are related to blood sugar. And of course, this can disrupt the balance of hormones and lead to more sugar imbalances for cravings and sugary foods. It's just like this crazy cycle. So if you're somebody that's in this boat, definitely go down the rabbit hole on the thyroid stuff. So other symptoms related to low thyroid are um, difficulty losing weight, or you've gained weight out of nowhere, um, feeling cold all the time, constipation, hair loss, um, dry hair, dry skin, brain fog. I think those are some of the common ones, but these sugar cravings could go hand in hand as well. So as far as what to do, get that full thyroid panel. I think that's really important. Get the T3, get the T4, you know, figure out what's going on there. Um, consuming more protein can be also helpful for the thyroid as well as balancing your blood sugar, eating those balanced meals, Doing strength training, strength training can also help the thyroid as well. Um, walking and moving, sleep. And then the final thing, you, you probably heard all those recommendations when I was talking about insulin resistance, is start eating more high potassium foods. And this comes from working with clients one-on-one um, -on -one and running a number of HTMA tests. I mean, we've run hundreds at this point. And I would say... 
90% of those tests, we see low potassium on a client's HTMA. And potassium has a significant effect on blood sugar and insulin. And, you know, getting those high potassium foods can just make such a difference in how you feel because it is an electrolyte. And if you're somebody that deals with like puffiness or fatigue or something like that, um, adding in some potassium can just make you feel better. But potassium really does have these like insulin-like effects and it helps get our blood sugar and glucose into the cells. And if glucose can't get into the cells, it just hangs out in the blood circulating and you might deal with high blood sugar levels then. So just adding more high potassium foods can make a difference. I mean, favorites are potatoes. We eat a lot of potatoes in our house, sweet potatoes, bananas, avocados, coconut water. I drink coconut water all day long, coconut milk, um, white fish, um, tons of great sources of potassium out there. You could also Google a quick list, but doing your best to get those potassium foods in it. I really think it made such a difference in how I felt every single day. And if you're somebody that tracks your food in my fitness pal or chronometer or something, Click over to the nutrition tab and see, you know, where your potassium falls. I guarantee, guarantee you it's nowhere near the requirements for women. And it's anywhere from 46 to 4,800 milligrams per day. And that's a lot of potassium. Like you really have to make an effort to get that potassium in. Um, but, you know, prior, prioritizing those foods, at least, you know, for a period of time until you start to feel better, I think again, can just make such a huge difference. And the thing that's interesting about potassium too, is this is where <laughs> my idea of the body does much better absorbing potassium from foods than it does supplements. So this is where, sure, you could get some supplementation as far as the potassium goes. But again, like those synthetic versions of or minerals aren't just, they aren't like the highest quality. So this is where I'd probably lean more into the potassium foods as opposed to the supplementation. Um, but really trying to get some of those foods in your day, every single day, maybe even multiple times a day. And then related to potassium, at least on the mineral front, is another reason why you might be getting sugar cravings or having these sugar cravings is magnesium deficiency. And this is huge. <laughs> I can't tell you how many of the ladies in our one-on-one -on -one program deal with this, especially if they're under chronic stress, because when you are stressed out, you're going to lose minerals. I mean, that's probably why we see the potassium so low too. And if you have gut issues, you're definitely going to see the potassium low. Um, but I think... I forget, it was like the World Health Organization. I feel like they estimated as much as like 75% of the world's population is deficient in magnesium. So I think we're all kind of in this boat. And it's for a lot of reasons. Yes, stress, our food is not as high quality as it used to be. Um, but, you know, if you're having major sugar cravings, this could be your body's way of sending a message that it needs more magnesium. So like if you're somebody that craves chocolate a lot, could be because you need more magnesium in your life because like dark chocolate, pretty high in magnesium. I mean, I love chocolate too. And I don't doubt that I probably need more magnesium in your life or in my life, probably in your life too. And then also just, you know, reading functional tests over the years, there is a blood sugar ratio on the HTMA. It's the calcium magnesium ratio. So, you know, when we see this high or low, it's a hundred percent associated with blood sugar issues, even insulin resistance. 
Um, and insulin resistance, sorry, I should have explained that before, but it's basically the body cells become less responsive to insulin. So over and over again, the cells just stop receiving, you know, that insulin in the, in the glucose. So, um, making sure you're getting enough magnesium can make your blood sugar or make regulating your blood sugar levels so much better just by facilitating that insulin function. And when magnesium levels are low, insulin sensitivity can decrease, making it harder for the body to efficiently move that glucose into cells. So, you know, just getting more magnesium can make such a difference. And then um, with the magnesium, I do feel like this is where you can 100% lean into high magnesium foods, but this is also where you could supplement with it. I do think like magnesium glycinate, words are hard guys, glycinate is typically well absorbed and tolerated by most people. So if you're looking for a magnesium supplement, that's probably where I would go. Um, But yeah, just getting enough magnesium per day can be also helpful for just energy production. Magnesium is a big player in how you feel. And, you know, if you are feeling fatigued every single day could be due to low electrolytes like magnesium, sodium, potassium. So they're all important, but, um, it's just another clue for like how you feel every single day. And I've actually even heard that, you know, if you have a magnesium deficiency, you actually might have almost like taste, and palate changes, essentially, like you actually have this heightened desire for sweet foods and sugar and things like that. So all this to say, fixing a magnesium deficiency can <laughs> make these cravings a whole lot better. Um, so high magnesium foods, again, you could Google a quick list, but some favorites are nuts and seeds, beans, Lord knows I love beans, um, black beans, kidney beans, chickpeas, lentils, um, leafy greens, spinach, Swiss chard, kale, um, brown rice, oats, fish, yogurt, milk, dark chocolate, bananas, avocados, vegetables, um, potatoes again, Brussels sprouts. There's so many. Like I said, you can Google a list, but those are some of my favorites and I really do try to prioritize them. Okay, so next on my list is cortisol imbalance, which 100% can make these sugar cravings worse. And this kind of goes hand in hand with what I've been talking about, about insulin resistance, um, stress for sure. I mean, chronic stress is the thing that like really cranks up your cortisol and it can lead to seriously intense cravings for sweet comfort food. I mean, I remember there's been times in my life where I just wanted sugar all the time. And I don't doubt that my stress levels led to that. Um, But, you know, cortisol goes hand in hand with blood sugar and it helps regulate blood sugar by increasing glucose production from the liver. And when cortisol levels are imbalanced during this time, you know, you're super duper stressed out, you can have way more fluctuations in blood sugar. And I do think a lot of times we hear about like high blood sugar, high blood sugar. Oh my gosh, high blood sugar. So, so bad. And so, you know, so, um, what's the word I'm looking for challenging, you know, when it comes to sugar cravings and whatnot, but low blood sugar is actually an issue too. And I, I feel like we almost see low blood sugar in our clients more and more. And that could be because of under eating, not consuming enough foods. It could be because of this like blood sugar roller coaster. Um, but if your blood sugar drops too low, it can trigger these cravings for sugary foods just to get that glucose level back up to a normal 
level. So again, it just goes hand in hand with these crazy sugar cravings. And when you're super duper stressed, I mean, think about, you know, your appetite and like what you want. I mean, there's a very, it's a very emotional aspect of um, cravings and cortisol and some of these like sugary things that we want. And I don't know. I've been there. I've been sad. I've been stressed. I've wanted emotional comfort. And yeah, I'll seek out sugary foods. I've totally been there for sure. But cortisol does play a big part in that. And as far as what to do, manage stress. I know that's so annoying to hear, but anything you can do to like set boundaries around work, take time for yourself, go for a walk, take a hot shower, take a trip to Target by yourself. I mean, you get options, um, but anything you can do to manage the stress, because, you know, if you're running on a hundred at all times, I, I can just see how the sugar cravings could be more intense. And of course, you know, if you're, you know, consuming sugar nonstop, it's going to be more difficult to lose weight and feel your best. And then the other, um, Recommendations are ones, you know, you've heard before, walking more, moving more can help as far as your cortisol levels go. I mean, simply being in nature has been shown to lower these cortisol levels and sleep. I mean, that's huge. Like I was saying, if you get a bad night of sleep, you just feel it the next day and your cortisol levels and sugar and blood sugar levels are probably all over the place. Um, you can also, here's, I'm on the fence about this recommendation just because I like supplements. I don't love them. I feel like they can supplement what you are already doing with your diet and lifestyle. So I feel like if you're not doing some of these foundational things as far as sleeping and strength training and getting more protein and managing stress, um, the supplements really aren't going to make a difference because if you're still living your life in this crazy chicken with its head cut off manner, adding a supplement to lower your cortisol, you're just throwing away your money. So with that said, the few that I would recommend and that we do sometimes suggest to our clients are ashwagandha, um, rhodiola, L-theanine, magnesium, going back to magnesium deficiency, and maybe vitamin C, but vitamin C is one of those that you can get from food. I mean, the adrenal cocktail is orange juice, coconut water and salt. So, I mean, that's a really great way to just start nourishing your adrenals and taking care of your body. Um, of course, drinking orange juice is going to spike your blood sugar. So just keep that in mind, but having some vitamin C in the form of orange juice before, during, after a workout could be really helpful or adding some fat and protein to it. I mean, I'm a big fan of putting whey protein and collagen in my adrenal cocktail. And that's what I drink during my workouts. Um, so my workout or my protein shake is a scoop of whey protein, a scoop of collagen, um, orange juice, coconut water. And I do put a little bit of salt in there. I don't go crazy with the salt because if you put too much in, it tastes gross. Um, but that's what I drink for all my workouts. And I think it's a really good way to hit all your bases as far as nourishing your body and your adrenals and getting the electrolytes into your life. All right. Next up on my list, we have a lot of reasons here why you might have sugar cravings. So those are the ones that are more health related and can give you some clues and send you on some rabbit holes as far as like what to do. And if any of that really resonated with you, it could be something to look into, whether it's with your doctor or a practitioner, obviously over here at Carrots and Cake, we can help you and, you know, not trying to pressure you into signing up for coaching or anything. But I do think 
nipping any of this sugar or blood sugar imbalance stuff in the bud now can make such a difference as you progress through perimetopause into menopause. Because once you get to menopause, even in perimenopause too, is that's where we see a lot of these blood sugar issues and insulin resistance. And that's why a lot of women gain weight during this time. Our bodies just aren't as resilient to stress. We don't have all these amazing hormones. And that's why you see a lot of this belly fat around your waist. You know, a lot of times it is due to some sort of blood sugar insulin resistance. So the more you can do now, the better you're going to feel when you hit perimenopause and metapaz. Um, so just doing your best to get going on this stuff now. And I don't think any of this, it's not hard. It's just things that you need to change. And of course, when it comes to change, it's not always easy. It's going to be uncomfortable, you know, eating more protein. It's taken me <laughs> a year. I mean, it's taken me a while to really get consistent with the protein where I actually do feel like it's part of my life now and just what I do. Um, but, you know, getting more protein, doing the strength training, going to sleep, going for more walks, all of these things make such a difference. And I know they're very like eye rolly, not eye rolly, but they're not the shiny object syndrome. You know, it's not a greens powder or like, uh, electrolyte powder, or any of these fancy supplements that are, that are out there. It's just regular foundational things. I think we all know that we need to do. It's just lighting a fire under your butt to actually do them. Okay. That said, I think the next reason why you're having sugar cravings is a lack of protein and a lack of balanced meal. So as I was saying, when I was dealing with this back in the early days of the blog, I wasn't eating full on meals. I don't know what I was doing. I was just kind of eating stuff when I felt like it. And I just don't think it kept my blood sugar balanced. You know, it wasn't steady throughout the day. So I was constantly craving sugar. And, you know, if you're consuming these imbalanced meals all the time, you know, they're super high in carbs and low in protein and have no fiber. Um, it can lead to insulin and cortisol all over the map, um, which of course is going to lead to these sugar cravings. So of course, what to do more protein. Um, and I don't feel like you need to eat your body weight times one. I'm sure you've heard this before. I just feel like for a lot of people, that's a lot of protein. And I'm almost 140 pounds. I can't even imagine eating 140 grams of protein. That just sounds like so much, so unappetizing. And I just feel like I'd probably need to consume a lot of chicken, a lot of red meat, and a lot of protein powder to get there. Um, so for me, my goal is 100 grams. And some days I get just 100. And some days I get closer to 120, 125. And I don't eat the same way every single day. Some days I nail the protein, other days I struggle, but I always get back on it the next day and do the best I can. And the way, or some of the things that have really helped me as far as the protein goes is that I front load my day with protein. So breakfast is probably the hardest meal to get 30 plus grams of protein, but I just make it an effort. I mean, I used to eat one or two eggs per day. I mean, now I eat three or four eggs, maybe some egg whites. I'll have a protein shake. Um, maybe I'll have a little Greek yogurt. Like I really load it up in the morning. I get at least 30 grams for sure. But if you don't have a high protein breakfast, you're kind of playing catch up for the rest of the day as far as like lunch and dinner and snacks go. So if you can really start your day with 30 grams or more, you're going to be in a much better place. You're going to feel a lot more balanced. You're probably going to 
not have as many cravings. You're going to be like mentally sharper. Um, there's so many benefits of getting that protein in first thing in the day. So even if you don't feel like eating in the morning, I hear that a lot from women. And I do think that's probably a stress response as far as maybe your cortisol being a little wonky in the morning. And it might be why you're not super hungry. So for those ladies who just aren't hungry in the morning, I tell them to, you know, just eat something low key and appetizing. So I think a smoothie is a great way to get a bunch of protein into your diet with something that is you know, easily digestible and whatnot. I mean, I'd be careful about how much fruit you put in there, uh, but do your best to add some protein and some fat in there and some fiber for sure. Um, that's usually one way. Um, and then again, you know, trying different things, thinking outside of the box, like, I don't think you have to have eggs every single morning if you don't like eggs, but find something that works. I mean, I absolutely eat ground beef for breakfast sometimes. I've eaten smoked salmon for breakfast. I've had leftover chicken and potatoes for breakfast. So if you have leftovers from dinner that kind of fit into this category, go for it. I mean, you don't have to eat oatmeal or eggs or some of the normal things that are breakfast food. So just remember that when you're like, I don't know how to get 30 grams of protein. I say, just try it and see how you feel. If it doesn't work, try something else. Um, I'm a big fan of experimenting for sure. And then also, if that 100 grams of protein per day seems really overwhelming, a lot of times what we tell our clients to do is take that number and divide by the number of meals that you are going to eat. So if you're going to eat three meals a day, that's 33 grams of protein per meal. So use that as a benchmark for all of your meals. If you're going to have four meals, I'm more of like the four meal person because I like eating. Um, I'll try to get, you know, 25 plus grams per meal. And that gets me to a hundred, because like I was saying, if you don't really front load your day at the end of the day, you're scrambling to get, you know, 60, 80 grams of protein. So start early um, and just make it a point to really like load up on that protein. Also with those balanced meals, um, I've kind of mentioned this a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> is that getting some fat can be really helpful as far as keeping your blood sugar balance. And I don't think you have to go low carb or no carb. You don't need to be keto or anything like that, but I would pick carbohydrates that have some sort of fiber in them. So I think vegetables are probably one of the, the top choices you could do. Um, you know, fruits and roots and squashes and things like that, beans and lentils, all of them have fiber, which is going to slow down that digestion process, process and also mitigate those spikes with your blood sugar. So I think all those are good options and they're whole foods. They're loaded with minerals and vitamins and nutrients and all that. So lean into those as much as possible and just do your best to have like a well-rounded meal that has protein, has a little bit of fat in it, has some fiber in it, has some good quality carbohydrates. Um, I just think that's the way to do it. And not to make it complicated. I mean, you may have heard me talk about my uh, PFF <laughs> framework. It's been on Instagram a few times. There's a YouTube video out there. Um, but this is how I plan pretty much all of my meals. I just, <laughs> I was joking about this the other day with my husband that, you know, back in my food blogger days, I used to like create recipes and take all these photos of food. And I wasn't really that passionate about it because I don't know, food photography really doesn't light my fire by any means. And I always joked, I just wanted to eat. 
It's like, I just wanted to eat whatever I made. I didn't want to take photos of it. But nowadays, it's very much how I approach my diet. Like, I want to hit my nutritional goals. I want to feel my best. I want to nourish my body and build muscle. And now I just have three components to all my meals, and it's protein, fiber, and flavor. And so every meal has some sort of protein in it. Every meal has some sort of fiber, usually in the form, sometimes vegetables, but I've been really leading into more like the beans, the lentils, the squashes, um, rice and things like that. Um, I guess rice doesn't have a lot of fiber in it, but those type of carbohydrates, just because those soluble fibers are really helpful as far as blood sugar goes, as far as detoxification goes, I think they're really satisfying. And then also a woman being 43, probably in peri- definitely in perimenopause. I say probably, but it's like hard to know for sure. My period is still really regular. But anyways, I definitely have low levels of progesterone. So making sure I'm getting enough carbohydrates is important as far as progesterone production goes. So I just make it a point to get a good amount of carbohydrates in my diet. But um, protein, fiber, and then flavor is really anything that's going to make that meal taste good. I mean, a lot of times it's barbecue sauce because I'm really lazy, but you know, I'll do feta, I'll do honey mustard, I'll do ranch dressing, I'll do <laughs> butter. <laughs> really like butter guys. Um, there's, I have this pizza seasoning blend from Trader Joe's that I've been really into. Sometimes it's just like an onion salt or something on there. Um, really just depends. I mean, it's I switch it up constantly. It's just something that's going to make that meal taste good. And it just makes thinking about what I'm going to eat so much easier. So if this sounds like something you're into, try it out. Protein, fiber, flavor. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overthink it. Um, and yeah, it really just works for me. And then finally, I guess the last thing on my list here is again, just I've I've lived this and I see it a lot with our one-on-one clients. Actually, I have two more things to say. <laughs> is I think if you're somebody that's been under eating for a really long time, you could have blood sugar issues. So just low calorie diets. Again, this is going back to low blood sugar levels. And when your blood sugar is too low, you're just going to have more intense cravings for sugar because your body just wants to raise your blood sugar levels back up to normal. And oftentimes your body wants quick energy. So I just think it's really important to make sure you're consuming enough. And if you think about, you know, dieting and under eating and these low calorie diets, it very much puts you in that restrict binge pattern where you're restricting food, you're on the diet, you're on track, you're being quote unquote good. And then, you know, you get to a point where you can't consume such low calories all the time and you end up binging. Like you go out for dinner and you eat the whole plate of nachos or, um, you know, you're around a bag of M&Ms and you eat them all, you know? So it's like goes with this like pendulum swing of like under eating, overeating, under eating, overeating, but restricting calories really like creates a sense of deprivation. And, you know, a lot of times it's going to make you crave high calorie sugary foods, and they're going to be much more appealing to you. And I just think it can intensify those cravings. So if you're eating enough food and you're eating balanced meals throughout the day, I just think you're going to be in a much better position to manage those cravings and, you know, lose weight and get to your goals. I also think, you know, being on a diet, there's a lot of frustration that goes along with a diet. Like as far as like, 
the emotional part of it, you know, I can't have this or like avoiding certain social situations where there's a lot of food or um, temptation. Um, so I, I do think there is an element of emotional eating and then also just frustration. You know, you just have all these negative emotions about like what you can eat and what you can't eat. And eventually you just cave and you're like, I, I'm going to eat all these peanut M&Ms and this entire bag of granola because I don't know how to deal with the emotions. And I'm just so frustrated from being on a diet and maybe not losing weight. So um, I think eating enough and eating consistently can make your blood sugar a lot more balanced. So you're not craving as much sugar and, you know, in the long run, it will help as far as losing weight and feeling your best. And then finally, the last thing I'd say about low calorie diets is that they naturally lead to nutrient deficiencies and imbalances. I mean, again, looking at so many HTMAs we see these patterns where women's bodies are literally malnourished. I mean, all their macro minerals are just below where they need to be. And if you're dragging every single day, you're not losing weight, you've done the diet thing forever and ever, your body is literally craving sugary foods because it's in an attempt to boost your energy and get your body back to a good place because minerals are energy. They're the spark plugs of our cells. And if you don't have enough of these things, so specifically magnesium, potassium and whatnot, you're just not going to feel your best and you're going to have low energy and have these crazy cravings. So um, just making sure you eat enough for sure. And then what to do here is if you're somebody that thinks that they've been under eating for a while, I would probably start with like tracking your food, which I know some people just aren't into it. It's not for them, but you don't have to do it forever. I mean, do it for three days, do it for five days and just see where things fall. I mean, I recommend my fitness pal all the time. I think it's really easy, but I think the key thing here is making an effort to weigh and measure your food. Because if you're just guesstimating, you're like, oh, I think that's about half a cup of oats, but you don't really know. Um, I think it's important to weigh and measure. And even if you do it for three to five days, once ever, it's going to teach you a lot about what you're eating and not eating and teach you more about your food. I mean, it's going to give you data as far as how much protein is in this food, how many carbohydrates, how much sugar is in this thing? Is there any fiber in the food that I'm eating? So I do think it's a good educational piece as far as just improving your nutrition, because if you don't know what you're eating, you can't make changes. And then of course, I think the obvious answer is stop dieting, stop under eating. If you're not getting to your goals and you feel like crap every single day, it's time to do something different. And a lot of times it's eating enough and it's eating enough of the right foods. And we've talked about protein, high magnesium foods, high potassium foods, getting some fiber in, getting some good quality fat. All of these things can make such a difference. And I personally think women should eat at maintenance calories. And I'll talk about what I mean by that for most of their life. I tell our clients 90% of your life, you should be eating at maintenance. And a lot of times it shocks people. They're like, what? <laughs> I should be eating at maintenance calories. And if you've been on a diet your whole life, this is probably pretty surprising um, and probably scares you a little bit. But I think when you're eating at maintenance, it just makes food and thinking about what you're going to eat so much easier. It's not consuming your life. And I just feel like you're fueling your body in a way where it is nourished and happy and balanced. And I think it's the place to be. So what I mean about maintenance calories, this is a general calculation to where you might 
want your calories to be. And again, this is very blanket statement. I mean, everybody's body is different and where your metabolism is, is going to depend on your dieting history, um, how much you've dieted, how many diets you've done, how low your calories have been, um, how much muscle is on your body, what your hormones look like, what your thyroid health looks like, what your gut health looks like. So this is very blanket, but I do think it gives you an idea where your calories would be for maintenance. So in order to calculate your maintenance calories, this is what we do with our one-on-one clients and the fit and fueled ladies is take your current body weight in pounds, multiply that by 13, and then write down that number, and then take your current body weight in pounds and multiply it by 16. And you're going to have two different numbers. And that's essentially a range of calories of where your maintenance should be. And the reason I gave this range is, you know, different bodies, different people, different metabolisms, um, and different activity levels. So 13, or the first number you wrote is for somebody who might not be super active, you're more sedentary, um, maybe you've dieted for a really long time, you haven't built a lot of muscle, um, maybe you have a lot of weight to lose, but that could be a starting point for you to get your body to a good, healthy place. The higher number, um, the second number you wrote down is more for somebody who is really active, you're working out three, four or five times a week, you've built a decent amount of muscle, your metabolism is pretty good, your thyroid health is pretty good, um, but it just gives you an idea of where those maintenance calories would be. And the only way to know if these maintenance calories are quote unquote working for you is to start tracking your food and be as consistent as possible and just see how your body responds and how you start to feel. Like, do you have more energy? Are you more motivated to work out? Um, are you building muscle? Are you more patient with your kids? Are you sleeping through the night? Are your periods more regular? All of this is good data for your maintenance calories, quote unquote, working. And then of course, when you're ready, you can go into a fat loss phase. But again, spending most of your life in maintenance is the healthiest place to be. And I do think that's where the best body composition changes come. And the last thing I'm going to say, I know this is a really long episode, guys, with a lot to say about sugar cravings, because as you know, it's never one thing. Um, but the final reason why you might have sugar cravings is it's simply a habit. I mean, I have been there. I mean, I was always that person after lunch or dinner. I wanted something sweet. And it's funny. <laughs> in recent years, I don't have those cravings after lunch and dinner anymore, but I have them after breakfast now, which I think is kind of funny. And I think it's honestly because of my iced coffee habit. It just like a peanut butter cup with your iced coffee just tastes so good. <laughs> so that's the current habit that I'm in. There's many mornings where I'm like, I don't need that peanut butter cup. And I just go on with my life. But there's many mornings that I'm like, that peanut butter cup's going to taste really good. But I can just tell you, it has really changed because that craving for sugar after my meals was so strong. So back in those early days of the blog, I would eat like a pseudo meal and then eat probably like six cookies or something like that. Like I really did not have a good handle on my nutrition or my sugar cravings, but I do think you know, if it becomes a habit, it's just reinforcing um, the sugar consumption and it just, you know, enhances those preference for more sweet flavors and whatnot. Um, but I do think it's a habit that you can break. And I mean, it could be one of those things that, you know, 
you prioritize eating well-rounded meals. I do think eating enough food um, makes those sugar cravings a lot less for sure. So making sure you really load your meals up with the protein and the fiber and the fat and the good quality carbs can make such a difference. Like, I don't know about you, but when I have like a big meal, I don't really want anything sweet after it. I'm kind of like, I'm good. I'm full, ready to go. Um, But if you're somebody that knows this is more of a habit, obviously like trying to break it is the key thing here. So I think number one is having those well-balanced meals. You could also try like a mint or like brushing your teeth after a meal. I do think that kind of sends a signal to your body like, oh, maybe I don't need sugar. We're in this like mint world right now. Um, You could always give it time. I mean, that's what I do. I'm just like, I don't really need that peanut butter cup. And I go off and do something else. And, you know, 15 minutes go by and I'm like, I don't really want that peanut butter cup. I'm good. So giving it time. And then this is what we do actually with my son, because sometimes he'll ask for, you know, like a treat. And I'm just like, well, it's like dinner time. Maybe we should eat dinner, but I'll give him something sweet with his meal. So if he wants like a cookie or some like gummies or something like that, and it's like right before dinner or lunch or something like that, I'll say, I'll put it with your your meal. So you can absolutely incorporate something sweet into your meals. And sometimes I will do this. So I found these like peanut butter, chocolate, rice crispy treat things from Trader Joe's. And I knew I absolutely wanted one, (laughs) but I was like, it's lunchtime. I worked out today. I should probably get some protein in and some carbs and some things that actually like nourish my body. So I made a meal and then I put that little sweet rice crispy thing with my meal. So I think that's an okay way to do it too. And again, if you have you know, protein, fiber, fat, all this good stuff in your stomach and you add something sweet kind of like on top of it or with it, you're going to have a much smaller blood sugar spike than eating something sweet on an empty stomach. So it's another way just to mitigate those blood sugar spikes. Anyways, I feel like I said a lot today. I hope I didn't overwhelm you guys. I hope I gave you some good strategies as far as what to do with um, any sort of sugar cravings or blood sugar imbalance. And I think the most important thing here is to get going on this because if you are leading into a insulin resistance type situation, your body is not gonna be its healthiest. You're really gonna deal with cravings, weight gain, weight loss resistance, and it just gets harder and harder to make these changes and change your body as you get older. So again, I think my point now is just getting going on this now instead of letting it spiral into diabetes or, you know, something worse. Um, So the last thing I'm going to say is check out that freebie I have for you guys, that sugar-free, de- I don't want to say detox plan because it's really not like a detox. It's just helping you get going. It's building some momentum around you know, eating different styles of meals or different combinations of foods so you have fewer sugar cravings. So I do think it's like a nice first step. It comes with a bazillion recipes. It comes with a grocery shopping list. It comes with that sample meal plan. I do think it's like a nice way to get going on this. And if you need blood work, ask your doctor, you know, feel free to apply to work with the carrots and cake team. We're actually opening up um, one-on-one applications for enrollment um, in the new year, starting November 1st. So put that date on your calendar, um, because if you're somebody that wants to do some of the functional testing, 
it can take anywhere from four to eight weeks to complete it all, get the results, do your review session, um, get your protocol, all of that good stuff. So if you want to hit your hit the ground running in January, I would apply now and sign up because like I said, it just takes a little while to mail you the tests, have you do the test, you know, interpret your test result. Um, so if you're thinking about January already, 2024 is going to be your year. I would say sign up sooner than later so you can really be ready to go once January comes and the holidays are over and all of that madness. All right, guys, wrapping up here. This was a long one. I hope you found it helpful and I'll see you on the next episode.